Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, April 20th, 2020. On the show today, dark science, cloning, secrets only the Sith know. It's the return of Bob Iger, plus listener questions. And in our main segment, Jim tells us the history of Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that silence is golden with duct tape that's silver. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? <laughs> Oh, I cannot tell you the number of household repairs I've made over the past week or two involving duct tape. In fact, <laughs> when a cat is just getting a little too aggressive, it's the perfect thing. I'm surprised at uh, at how much home improvement I too am doing. Mm. Like I'm I'm one step away from plumbing at this point. Well, I wish I could step back from the plumbing land, but eh, <laughs> that's another story. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at Disney Dish. Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Kelly C, Scott B, and Carrie T, that's Carrie with a C, and longtime subscribers, Stephen from the UK, Madeline T, and ICM fan. Jim, these folks are responsible for making sure no food is wasted over at Living with the Land. I'm told they've been creating new recipes, such as daytime pajamas salad <laughs> with quinoa, tomato, and arugula in a spicy peppercorn dressing. And, oh my God, stop breathing like that tilapia served over corn, green beans, and potatoes with a dragon fruit puree. Can't wait to see those on the menu, Jim. Uh, can they send me these stop breathing tilapia? <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> totally understand. Totally understand. Mm -hmm. Jim, lots of news this week. Let's do the news. Okay. The New York Times reported on April 12th that Bob Iger has reinstalled himself as de facto CEO, taking over those duties from uh, Bob John Paul I Chapek. Uh, and I note, Jim, that uh, Disney's board of directors today named Chapek to the board, probably to ensure he doesn't go anywhere else. What's what's going on here, Jim? Something that a lot of people don't know is virtually the day after this New York Times story ran through the cast member portal, basically a 15 minute talk with Bob Chapek went up. Drew Taylor, who I do the, the fine tuning show with uh, as friends at the company who made him aware of of this piece of, of video and you know, uh -huh. sort of relayed the information secondhand. But it wasn't Al Haig, I'm in charge, for those of you who remember what happened after President Reagan was assassinated, but it was more to the effect Oh, yeah, Al Haig, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but this, <laughs> you know, this was a guy talking like the CEO of the company. And a lot of people are interpreting Chapek being made a member of the board. And, and if you saw the letter that went with the member with that promotion about, you know, he's he's been on the job for seven months, faced challenges that no nobody else has faced, and this is our vote of confidence. And right. a lot of that is now being interpreted as damage control, as in that piece went out and sort of rattled the financial community at a time when Disney's, you know, well, just yesterday, Nancy was telling, we were in the car, and she's looking at the $5 billion line of credit that Disney lined up, and that's in addition to the securities Last month that they put out for $6 billion, and you know, a lot of this has to do with the fact that Disney's big enough to have this sort of lending power or earning power. Right. Everything I've been told is that this is just terra incognito. Disney's never been in this situation before. Bob Chapek is still the CEO. However, at a time like this, when you know the Titanic has run into the Andrea Doria, you need the more experienced hand, and that's Bob Iger. Because honestly, nobody wants to be in charge of an entertainment company at a moment like this. So it's basically the two of them working with mops and buckets, trying to keep the leaks under control. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I joked about this at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the show, but it really is two heads are better than one in this case, right? It is. Iger has is. Iger has uh, experience, especially going through the economic downturn back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's everybody who can help should be helping. I think that's the way to uh, to look at this. But the other thing, frankly, somebody at the company was pointing out, it's like, and think about it, this poor Bob. Uh, Bob C, by the way, that's like, you know, when people say Bob, that means Iger. When people say Bob C, that means Shapek. Bob C, this guy walked out of Disney parks, experiences, and products to be in charge of the company. And then almost instantaneously, the park shut down. The cruise lines, the, you know, Adventures by Disney shut down. You know, yeah. nobody can go to a physical Disney store or for that matter, Disney Springs or World of Disney to shop. So everything they had experienced dried up. And this is that normal time, you know, I mean, you know, when you become a CEO, the first three or four months are literally meeting with every division, getting the sense of what people are working on, and then making the tweaks that you want to make as the new guy. And Chapek never got that. It's just sort of like, right. well, here's the keys to the to the car. By the way, it's on fire. <laughs> and you might want to rotate the tires while you're at it. You know, exactly. Something, something wrong with the engine while we're at it. Yeah. yeah you know, I think a lot of people immediately tried to read the tea leaves in a way that this really wasn't what's going on. Don't get me wrong. You know, Iger's in there. If anything, reassuring the financial community while, you know, Bob C., is the guy who has to make the difficult calls to yeah. folks like a Governor Newsom in California, or for that matter, Governor DeSantis in Florida, who are both talking very differently about when their individual <laughs> states are going to reopen. We have a listener question on that actually coming up. Okay, cool. Obviously, a bunch of uh, listener questions around reopening. Here's one from Bill Kay. Seems pretty obvious while Disney World is going to have a lot of new procedures in place when they reopen. The world's standby for testing new attractions is to have an annual passholder preview. Could they invite annual passholders in maybe a week ahead of the official reopening to try and work out some of the kinks? I'm assuming this is around social distancing. It help smooth out some of the operational difficulties ahead of time and please a lot more of their loyal customers. So that's an interesting idea. Annual passholders in to test things out. What I've heard, this is something they've done as far back as Disney's California Adventure. They have tens of thousands of employees in Orlando right now mm-hmm. who are just sitting around doing nothing and they've been furloughed or, or they're working at reduced pay or that sort of thing. The notion is that if they're going to try the social distancing, they're going to try figuring out how do we dispatch ride vehicles and maintain social distancing. And, and remember, just today, President Trump is supposedly issuing a brand new set of guidelines in regard to social distancing. So everything that Disney's been preparing at this point may be upended by what comes out of Washington. So the thinking right now is that what Disney may do is call back cast members to do this testing so that by the time the first folks come through the gate, they've done things like one of the ideas that's being tested at this point is that As you enter the park, you are literally forced to stay to the right. There will be a marked out path to effect of you're coming in, you're going to the right. You're leaving, you're going to the left. Also trying to figure out how to enforce social distance. I mean, literally with somebody, a cast member standing at the top of the sidewalk going, okay, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, next, you may begin to head into that space. Well, they're doing it. They're doing it at grocery stores. We know how to. We know how that works, right? Like grocery stores are doing social distancing. That was before they started talking about no touch shopping or no, you know, 
<laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Every day this changes. In fact, every so often on Twitter, I'll see somebody talking about how you and I, could you produce the shows a little faster because the news keep changing? And it's like, <laughs> if we did this at 10 o'clock in the morning, by yeah. five o'clock in the afternoon, things would have changed. So we're doing the best we can, folks, just like the folks at Disney Parks and Resorts. For me, one of the, the more interesting questions about when the parks reopen, like let's assume that there's not a vaccine available and we have to practice social distancing while the parks are open. So just give me that hypothetical, right? Mm -hmm. How do you get people to the park? in a social distancing scenario. And never mind that, Len. We keep focusing on, of course, obviously the guests. But what about the cast members? Right. If you're checking guests as they're coming into the park to see okay. if they have a temperature or, or that sort of thing, that's only half the equation. You also have to do right. the same thing with cast members. And when you think about just at the Magic Kingdom, you've got the parking lot behind Main Street and Tomorrowland. You've got the backstage parking area out behind Frontierland. You've got the way folks come in taking the bus system when they park out by the uh, the center building and then yeah. get out and go into the Utilidors. And that's just one theme park? Right. I don't think all the parks will, uh, will open at once. I was, I was trying to focus on like the Magic Kingdom, for example. And the question I had on the Magic Kingdom was, to your point about the buses, mm -hmm. how do you, physically, how do you get people there? Because you can't, you can't pack the buses full anymore. So I'm thinking maybe 20 people fit on a bus now, mm -hmm. right? So I think a normal bus capacity is around 110, 110, 115 or so. So now you've got one-fifth the capacity of buses. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question. I do think uh, mm -hmm. if they do open up, just from an economics perspective, they would mm -hmm. only open the park up to people who are staying at Disney resorts. Because from a financial perspective, it gives Disney more money. I think in any scenario in which the park opens, we're going to see crowd levels like a, like a Halloween or a Christmas party, not the mm -hmm. 58 or 59,000 people on an average day. We're going to see like 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people. That certainly sounds workable. On the other hand, to their question about annual pass holders, what do you do to the folks who paid 2000 Yeah. Well, they're, for, they're getting extended. I mean, Disney's, Disney's been extending those things out. So they've they suspended payments mm -hmm. while the parks are closed. Everyone's going to get back on their annual pass the number of days that the park is closed. So that's mm -hmm. good. I guess the question is, though, once, once they say that the parks reopen, if you're not comfortable going down to Walt Disney World, then what happens? I think, I think then you're on your own. But we'll see. We, I don't know. We'll see what happens. My one idea, by the way, for transportation on this and, and sort of uh, the, the team at Touring Blends and I have been kicking this around. You need a couple of things. One, if you're doing security screening at the Magic Kingdom, obviously you need to have six feet between groups. Mm. Imagine there are 3,000 people in line. Oof. You need 18,000 feet worth of line. Where do you put 18,000 feet worth of line? So our, the idea that oh, we came up with, and, and, and Guy from our team was helpful in this, we took a map of the Magic Kingdom and we, we mapped out how long that line would be. And, and so the idea would be you take all of the available space over by the bus drop-off point mm -hmm. and you, you get rid of bus drop-off there and you essentially use that for security lines to get into the park. And then you make the, the drop-off over by the contemporary. So you mm -hmm. basically you close Bay Lake Tower and you use that as the bus pickup and drop-off point. Now you've got to also do other interesting things there because if you're coming in and you need a wheelchair or you need an ECV, You'll need to be able to rent those there. So there'll need to be a way to do that. But essentially, you, you close down Bay Lake Tower. You use the parking lot that's closest to the Magic Kingdom as a bus depot. Mm -hmm. And you use the existing bus depot places to, to hold lines for people getting into the park. That's actually a great idea. 
it works out that you could keep social distancing that way. And also, so people coming in from the ferry would presumably be screened at the TTC. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they get off the ferry, they could go directly through regular security or whatever they go through. Or uh, sorry, they could just go to the gates. And if you look at a map of the Magic Kingdom, you could figure out how those paths work where everyone could still say six feet apart. Yeah. Supposedly, what's coming down the pike from the, the federal as well as the government level, because face it, we, we, there've been lots of conversations lately about when we reopen and other folks pushing back, you know, to the effect of, you know, we still need the shelter in place. So many states are st- still ahead from their peak, but there's been discussions of a card system. You know, there would be a card to the effect of this person has been tested. And conversely, what Disney is talking about is once you've been tested to go into a particular park, people are going to be able to travel back and forth between yeah. these two parks. And the idea is that, you know, as you enter the park and you're screened, you are given a wristband. You know, this person has been cleared, so they are now free to travel that day around the resort. But the question then is that we talk about a wristband for the entire vacation, or do you individually monitor people every day? Because again, there's so many people who are supposedly asymptomatic. I feel so bad because people clearly want definitive answers. Of you know, For example, yeah. Dan Z, he and his family have reservations to go down to Walt Disney World on June 12th. I literally told him last night as we were talking about this, like, if you were going to California to Disneyland Park, I'd say change your reservation. Yeah. Because the way Governor Newsom's talking, California's not opening for events and crowds. Uh, he was actually suggesting this morning, uh, they were reporting that sporting events and the like won't start up again until 2021. Right, yeah. But on the other hand, Governor DeSantis in Florida, very much because you know he wants to get his state's tourism industry back in, in motion, it's an entirely possible by June 12th, Walt Disney World will be open in some form. But at the same time, think about what you're describing, Len, and the time commitment just to get through you know, a 3,000-person line to, to get into the park. We're going to look back fondly at the, oh, getting up at 4.30 in the morning to get a boarding group at Rise, Rise of the Resistance. Resistance. Yeah, yeah, those, those yeah. are the good old days. Yeah. I note that uh, according to uh, healthdata.org, mm-hmm. Florida's peak resource use is not now supposed to happen until May 3rd. That day keeps getting pushed back and back and back. It used to be, uh, I think, April 17th. Now it's May mm-hmm. 3rd. That would put the day in which there were no beds, ICU beds needed or ventilators or anything like that, somewhere around the third week of June. Mm-hmm. The good thing is, is that you'll definitely see by the, you should see by the middle of May, the trajectory on its way down. So maybe by the middle of May, people would be able to start planning for some sort of contingency reopen. It's, it's all based though on, I mean, it's, it's all based on this trade-off, right? The trade-off is, do we keep the travel industry shut Mm-hmm. until there's a vaccine or not. That's really what it's going to come down to. And it's not just Disney World, right? It's it's all kinds of travel. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, just last night they were talking about JFK, where 95% of the normal day-to-day jets coming and going from there, it, it's gone. Oh, it's, yeah. I don't know if you've seen the shots of the places out in the desert where America Airlines has basically its fleet in mothballs. It's, you know. it's storing the planes, yeah. Yeah, so just getting the equipment to start back up. I mean, it just this isn't a turnkey operation, folks. No. That's why I would think like by the maybe the third week of May, mm-hmm. they could start 
doing some planning if they're going to reopen in the summer mm-hmm. than to reopen in the summer. Like I think though, if if they're not open by August, it's going to be difficult to see how they reopen this year. That's sort of like my gut feeling. I, I don't know. There's, there's so many unknowns. I, no, no, no. Know. That's it exactly. And you and I are recording this at 11 o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> was, you know, yeah. Later this afternoon, the new guidelines for social distancing come out. And what does that mean? How is Disney going to react to that information? Because they're guidelines, not yep. these are rules. So The other thing about having a passport, you know, some sort of clearance thing that mm-hmm. says, yeah, you've been, you've been cleared. Mm-hmm. There are laws in the United States around uh, the use and storage of medical information. So saying mm-hmm. something like you've got coronavirus or you don't have coronavirus mm-hmm. falls under HIPAA yeah. in the United States. I don't know that Disney wants to store that information. No, I get that. But at the same time, remember when Iger did that earlier interview with Barron Forbes and he yeah. was talking about we're looking to you know what's going on at shanghai right now right well they're doing they're doing temperature testing right they are uh, but they also one of the other things there glenn is that they have a qr code whereas you enter the park you know they get to scan the qr code and and they do in fact are able to access your health records so i mean the very thing you're talking about it's like okay they can do that in china they're comfortable with that in china i think we've talked previously about how Disney has investigated going from the finger scan to technology that folks are using overseas where it's facial recognition. It's like, right. come up and the computer recognizes, yes, I recognize that giant ham-shaped face. That's Jim. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a discussion there about, uh, about the amount of information that we'd be willing to give up to, I mean, in addition to the, uh, the whole risk around coronavirus thing. It's, yeah, yeah. Would we as a, as a country accept that kind of surveillance Mm-hmm. especially by private companies in exchange for travel. Eh, it's, a, it's a whole other question. It is, it is. And when you, you hear folks like Dr. Fauci talking about, we could be 18 months away from a vaccine. Right. Yeah, there are trade-offs, right? Yeah, that's it exactly. I wouldn't want to be the one making these decisions. No, no. All right, Jim, let's go on to another question. This one's from Kevin W. And the question is this, have you guys ever done an episode about Treasure K, Disney's first look at an exclusive Caribbean island destination. It's one of the things that they did with a big red boat, I think. Yeah. If this is what we're talking about, Treasure K, if this project had gone forward, it would have been called Treasure Island. Disney was going to develop a a portion of Baker's Bay. This is an island that's located on the great Guana K and the Abacos Islands. This is the northeast of Bahamas. Okay. This predated... Disney looking at Gorda Kay, which in 1997 had acquired that 99-year lease on to turn into Castaway Key. Disney looked at Treasure Kay and ultimately decided that the bay near development where the ships would come in was too shallow for cruise ships. So we're taking folks over to the island, we have to tender them, and that gets problematic, particularly if it's rough seas or that sort of thing. But haven't they gone in and dredged a couple of times at Castaway Key, especially with the, for the newer boats? I think they, uh, they have mm-hmm. to make it deeper, right? Yeah. So I don't entirely understand why it is that it's okay to do that at Gorda Cay. But I guess maybe, you know, again, we're, we're talking about the 99-year lease, that maybe they weren't able to get those sorts of terms in regard to Treasure Cay. What's fascinating about this is we're talking about this at the same time they're prepping the second island, or at least they were, 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's on a whole nother. The interesting thing for me, I, I checked the the status of the the Disney ships this morning, yep. and two of them are actually out at sea. Yeah. The Magic and the Fantasy, I think, are actually out in the ocean right now, not mm-hmm. not in port. Just this morning, they're reporting land. Those are two of forty five cruise ships that you know are out in the water with their their crew members. Frankly, a lot of these folks are are concerned about you know they're keeping the boats you know operational. While, you know, and think about just the story last week about how, you know, Governor DeSantis of Florida was, you know, that that one cruise ship that was finally allowed to make port after being turned around, you know, for what, three weeks and, and all of these ports in South America wouldn't allow them to land. Right. It is not a great time. All right. So let's do a, uh, let's do a show on Treasure Key. Okay. Okay. I'll get out my shovel and start digging. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Kevin. All right, Jim, here's a question from Drew S. Uh, he was talking about our conversation last week around how DVC points might be allocated, given the fact that no one's traveling in, you know, for the first half of, of 2020. Um, so Drew writes in that uh, regular travelers don't need to go to Walt Disney World. The one segment of the population that 100% has to go is DVC members. So all of them will either do one of four things, go in 2020, rent points out in 2020, bank the points and go in 2021 or bank points and rent it out in 2021. The point that Drew makes is that DVC resorts are always at capacity. So losing three months of rooms means there aren't enough rooms to cover the next two years and people will be shut out. And Drew points out that the obvious solution to that is to let Disney use some regular hotel rooms as DVC rooms. The question with that though is what hotels would you accept as a DVC member in exchange for your DVC points. So for example, let's say that you normally stay at a studio at Old Key West. What's the the minimum room that you would accept in exchange for those points? Like, would you take an all-star music standard room for those points? Probably not because they're not comparable, right? Mm -hmm. So what room would you take in exchange for your points? When you go to Disney, yes, you're staying in your lovely hotel, which if you're a DVC member, has ways to cook meals and larger living space and the like. But you also go to Disney for access. Disney has an amazing card to play with Galaxy's Edge. How many people, particularly DVC members, would tolerate, say, being put at Caribbean Beach or Pop Century or that sort of thing, if they were guaranteed early access to Galaxy's Edge and guaranteed a boarding group on Rise of the Resistance, guaranteed right. to be able to get into Oga's Cantina, that sort of thing. And you know, Oh, so they could trade those things off too, access. Yeah. So that's the whole notion of, yes, I'm sorry that you can't get into your hotel because we were shut down during that period. But what if in right. exchange, we put you up at a resort that's Closer to to Disney's Hollywood Studios, and you can get on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Yeah, okay, I I could see people making that trade, and I would consider that because yeah. they've got the rides, right? They can always use the rides as access. It's a good point. At least until Disney is back to business as usual, this whole notion of what's it going to take to make you happy, and that again, you know, circles back to the whole thing of bringing the cast members back to work as soon as possible, and sure. using them to work out the social media thing because. On the other side of this, Len, Disney's famous for great guest service, 
they're going to have to move things to a whole nother level because yeah. they're, they're going to need people coming home from their Disney World vacation where they're forced to stay on only one side of the street. And, you know, they had to wait in line for Pirates of the Caribbean for two hours because they're only putting 12 people in a boat. I think the number is actually going to be six, Jim. So, <laughs> so one of the, no, one of the things that you, we, we looked at was how many people fit on the rides. Yeah. We're, we're trying to figure out how many people could be in the park. So assuming you've got you know, families, right? Mm-hmm. The most number of people that you could put in a Pirates of the Caribbean boat while maintaining six feet apart would be first row, last row, assuming everyone's not traveling together, right? Yeah. So you have a group of three and a group of three. So the six people, mm-hmm. maybe four, maybe eight, if, there's, if you want to squish them in. But it could be as little as two if it's two groups of one. But I think, I think Disney would work around that. But you see what I'm saying. So it's, it's going yep. to be left for the, to the cast members to do extraordinary service here to effectively yep. close the gap. Yep. Not feeling happy for those folks. All right, Jim, one last uh, question. This one's from Jim K. He mm-hmm. said, I, re- I learned recently that some of the Dapper Dans are members of the champion barbershop quartet called Main Street and that some Main Street performers also sing with the Voices of Liberty. Do you know if the performers swap between the Dapper Dans and Voices of Liberty as needed, or are those cast pretty well set? There's a certain amount of fluidity uh, when it comes to where performers can work. Because face it, you know, that you're looking to get a full 40 hours, and you know, when you look at like Main Street at the Magic Kingdom, you only have characters out on the street there for a couple of hours in the morning, so, yeah, sometimes the mayor of Main Street will turn up later in the day over in Epcot. Have you ever been to the American Adventure when they do shift change between the one group doing Voices of Liberty and the second group is going to come on? Or I've never noticed it. What happens? Oh, it is this, this wonderful moment where they're doing their standard performance. So the folks are down on the, the first floor. And then in the middle of their last number, the cast that's about to come on steps up to the edge of the rotunda on the second floor, and they effectively- Oh, right. It's, it's a second chorus. Yeah. yeah. I have seen this. It's fantastic. It is. It is. But it, it's literally the luck of the draw. You have to be in that space at that moment when it's shift change, but you get this double the entertainment, but it's only for like the last- 30 seconds or so of the song and you know and then yeah well go to the american venture i have seen it that's right i I didn't know that's what it was though that's great yeah it's just one group clocking in another group clocking out so (laughs) that's awesome all right folks we're gonna take a quick break when we come back jim's gonna tell us about the history of guardians of the galaxy mission breakout attraction at disney california adventure Let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout at DCA. So this is the takeover of the old Tower of Terror attraction, right? With the new IP. That's correct. And I got to say, when they originally announced this, I really didn't like the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I wrote it and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And the Imagineers knew going in that this was controversial. The announcement that this ride was coming came in July of 2016 at Comic-Con at a Guardians of the Galaxy 2 panel. And mm-hmm. within days, there was a, a change.org petition up with 35,000 signatures on it to the effect of, you know, don't do this. We love the Tower of Terror. Why would you change this? The decision had actually been made back in, in 2015, 
Joe Rody talked about how it was early 2015 when, you know, he's in the middle of working on Avatar, the world of Pandora for Disney's Animal Kingdom. And he gets a call from WM management. And it's like, hi, can you come in? We, we need to talk to you. And there had been a big meeting. Disney buys Marvel in 2009. It buys Lucasfilm in 2012. And they're kind of putting new Marvel-themed attractions in Florida is problematic because of the universal licensing deal. So they're really looking at what they can do in California. It hasn't been officially announced yet. It won't be till August of, of 2015 at the D23 Expo that we learn about the two Star Wars lands, one going into Disney's Hollywood Studio and the other one into Disneyland. But there had been a decision made. Star Wars would be in Disneyland Park. But Marvel, which at that point had a relatively small footprint, it, it had taken over the second floor of right. the Interventions building, and that's where Superhero HQ was located. And you could look at the a display of Iron Man tech that supposedly Stark Industry had put on, and you could meet and greet with Thor or Captain America or Spider-Man. But the decision was made so that if you're going to go do a Marvel attraction, it's going to have to be at California Adventures. So let's move everything over there. And uh, we may need to make a really big statement really fast. And so that's why the decision was made that Tower of Terror, which, remember, only just opened a DCA back in May of 2004. Mm-hmm. But that thing was going to be changed over to be Guardians because they wanted a fun attraction. They wanted okay. one that was kind of irreverent that made a statement. And if you look at like Captain America, he's a wonderful character, but kind of stolid, kind of earnest. He's like Mickey Mouse was in the 30s, right? That's it, exactly. So they zeroed in on the Guardians. Here's Joe, who's already ridiculously busy with the Animal Kingdom project. And it's like, uh, Kevin Feige asked, you know, the head of Marvel asked for you personally, because you're known for doing really great, really hyper-detailed stuff. And he doesn't want this change out of Tower of Terror to look like it was quickly slapped together. In fact, that was the hidden agenda of the Mission Breakout project. They, they knew that Tower of Terror was going to shut January 3rd of 2017. And then inside of 180 days, by, uh, I want to say March 27th, it was going to reopen it as Mission Breakout. And that was one of the other reasons that the Disney, theme, you know, uh, um, annual pass holders and the, the theme park, park fans were upset. It's like, you're only going to be closed for five months. There's no way you can, you know, do a full makeover. There's a, yeah. It's going to be a paint job. It's going to be this slap together thing. It's going to be terrible. So Joe's like, okay, I will take this on. But here's the thing. We're doing a full change up. I want when this thing opens, we're going to blow people's minds. You know, they're, they're going to walk through the door and see where the lobby was. Suddenly it's the grand hall of the collector and the Vitreon set up to go all the way up to the ceiling. And there's a show everywhere. Because they had committed to changing out Tower of Terror, Joe's was like, geez, you know, there's a problem with Tower of Terror. He only does one thing. It goes up and it goes down. No disrespect to folks who love Tower of Terror, but it's an attraction that slowly builds to a big boo. Right. Yeah. You finally do that the, the drop, and but you, it takes you of the the two minutes and ten seconds. I, I want to say that's how long the the, the ride is. This is in uh, in DCA because it's a little bit longer in uh, in World because it has okay. that uh, fifth dimension. Oh, and by the way, Glenn, as Joe was beginning working on it, was talking about the elevator. You know, literally, some from Disney Legal said, "No, 
with our agreement with Otis elevator operator, the folks who actually built the, the giant motors that power this thing at the top, we're not allowed to call it an elevator. It is, however, called a vertical vehicle conveyance. Wait, so, but they say they say elevator in the ride. Uh, they do, it, it, but again, you know, yeah. but in the meeting, uh, no, don't say oh, <laughs> don't say the okay, e word. Okay. You know, vertical vehicle conveyance. <laughs> vertical vehicle conveyance. So, it, so an escalator would be a horizontal. There you go. There we go. (laughs) I'm catching on, Jim. I'm catching on. I'm here to help. Okay. Um, But at the same time, it's just one of these things where it's like, okay, so we have to do something different this time. And so what they decided was that they spent a night riding and they realized that if you're being forced down the Tower of Terror, you know, vehicle, vertical vehicle conveyance, all that does is frighten you. But on the other hand, when you're going up, when you're bouncing up, that's joyful. That's fun. And so it's like, okay, so this show is going to be about exhilaration. This is going to be joyful. We're going to get give people as much airtime as they can get. Think about when you're on Tower of Terror, how much of the time you're in their shaft, you're still getting exposition. Oh, right. there's the people who disappeared that night. Oh, they're ghosts. And only then, you know, then that last 30 seconds do you drop. And so, you know, Joe's conceit was like, what if the rule with this attraction is as soon as you're on the ride, no exposition? Really? It's two minutes and 10 seconds of fun, which meant that you had to do all of your exposition before you got into the building. If you look at the outside of Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout and you look how they redid the outside of the building, the color scheme there are no blacks. There are no grays. It's all gold and silver to give you a sense of the huge wealth that's inside this building. Likewise, if you've ever seen the lighting profile at night with the crackling electricity and that sort of thing, or or the pipes right. outside that steam, it's all about power. So when you get inside the building and Rocket's talking about we're going to shut off the power, it's like, okay, you start, you know, like on the outside, establish, you know, there's a lot of power running through this building. So, okay, I mm-hmm. get that. As you're making your way through the queue outside... Like, for example, you see the wanted poster for Mantis, so you know, okay, she's not in there with the Guardians. She somehow escaped. Likewise, every so often, you'll see these little red raccoon footprints in paint, which is like rockets already loose. And then, of course, you go into the Grand Hall, and you you get the whole thing about the Collector and how inside of this film loop, you get that A, the Guardians are locked up, B, what's keeping them in place is a giant generator that's up on the roof, and C, Drax actually says, well... I was waiting to see what the raccoon would do. You know, he's <laughs> such a great escape artist. And you're handed all of that information before you even get into the collector's private office. You get in the office there and you get that wonderful rocket raccoon electronic animatronic, which what they do with Hondo for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. You know how sometimes when Hondo goes down, they'll throw a tarp over him and suddenly you're looking at a video screen of Hondo. Again. I haven't seen that. Yeah. That, that, this is the, you know, when, uh, when the figure goes one-on-one, you get Hondo basically giving you the same speech on a monitor. So you get all the exposition you need before you get up in the Millennium Falcon. That was actually invented for Guardians, that in the event oh. that the same thing, if the electronic animatronic goes down, but you, again, you're fed everything that you need, that you need to raise your hands because you have the security clearance, Rocket doesn't, and he needs you to be able to get in to the gantry platform to get up to release his friends. And then everybody knows about the six different pro- drop profiles, but 
when they were selecting the music, I mean, first of all, they could turn to the original Guardians film, which had that wonderful late 60s to early 80s music soundtrack. And so it's like, you know, we're going to be able to do the, you know, the first Disney attraction that actually uses real rock and roll. This is great. So they began getting in the Tower of Terror at night and running songs that they thought would work. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that when your adrenaline kicks in, when you're riding on Guardians Mission Breakout, suddenly a rock song with a really strong beat doesn't have a strong enough beat. So uh, that's how they settled on, for example, Jackson 5, I Want You Back, or Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot, or for that matter, the Edward Wingroot's Free Ride. They all have that beat that actually falls in sync with what your adrenaline, once it kicks in, is doing to your heart rate. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So with the whole notion of, you know, we want to surprise all these folks who signed that petition. We want them to walk through the door in five months and see a completely done retraction and blow their minds. So they did a lot of fabrication in advance. I want to say it's Carol Weiss, the, the, the executive producer of this attraction, was talking about. They started a new process in place and imagining when they were working on the tower redo. And if we decide that something's not wrong, that means at least it's partially right. And so you, know, you can move that much more further with making decisions when you, you determine, okay, that's not wrong. So you can move faster to the right decision by not bogging down you know, to the effect of we must have the perfect decision. It's like, well, you don't need perfect. You just need oh, that's that that's a wrong. great idea. Yeah. So they were able to move through the construction, the development of material that's so much faster. And, and that's what ultimately kind of bit them in the butt. Because, you know, they're walking folks from Disneyland through the attraction in March and Mm -hmm. April, and they're seeing how far along it is. And, oh, my God, this is amazing. And, oh, by the way, have you seen Haunted Mansion Holiday? Because we were thinking you did this so fast. How would you feel about doing (laughs) a Halloween-specific thing? And it's like... In the middle, oh, we haven't even opened this yet, and you're asking for the yeah. new version of the ride. And it's like, well, you're doing so well, and you're moving so fast. We just thought we'd ask. We thought you'd have some spare time here at the end of the week or so. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, Joe was like, well, you know, that's the time when we do these things like sleeping and eating and bathing. And <laughs> <laughs> it's all optional. Again, in the middle of it, they start working on the Monsters After Dark scenario. And the nice thing is they had looped in James Gunn who was the director, in fact, you know, that he was brought on board the project in November of 2015. In fact, they hadn't started shooting Guardians 2 yet. And, you know, they initially showed it to him. And then like three weeks later, it's like, look, you write these things, you direct these things, you really should be, you know, here's the script, you know, how should we change this? And can you shoot this during, while you're shooting uh, Guardians 2? And what they didn't know (laughs) is that, James's earliest memory from when he was like four was being taken to Disneyland by his his grandparents. And it was one of his absolutely, you know, strongest memories, favorite times as a kid. And it's like, you you want me to come do this with you? (laughs) And it's like, well, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. And in fact, that's the thing. He took he at the grand opening, you know, in in May of, of 2017. And you have to understand that. Guardians 2 had opened three weeks earlier. In fact, that was the other thing that basically 
you know, Joe was told, by the way, we need this open by Memorial Day 2017, you know, to kick off our, our summer of superheroes or it's basically useless. So no pressure. But James stood on stage at the grand opening and talked about, look, some people dream of getting Academy Awards. I wanted a Disney theme park ride and I got one. <laughs> so this opens then starting in mid-September for Halloween time at the Disneyland Resort. We get Monsters After Dark, uh, but this is the flag that was stuck in the ground that effectively, and in fact, that they talked about Bob Chapek stood on stage and talked about there's more Marvel stuff to come. And this this was the thing that made it possible to turn a Bugs Land into Anaheim's Avengers Campus, which again was supposed to open in July. And I I don't know if you've seen going over to the Disneyland Resort site that's now changed to coming soon. Well, yeah, we all, we all figured that. Again, they pulled this all off in five months, and this is why all Imagineers now hate Joe Rohde. Because yeah, they're all on that timeline now. Yeah, that, that's exactly you know, the effect of, well, I, I can't possibly deliver that. It's like, well, Joe Rohde, you know, took the tower down. <laughs> you know that Imagineers leave, leave those meetings going, well, Joe Rohde. <laughs> 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 just fantastic. Oh, okay. It's an amazing attraction. There's so many stories on related to this. Thing, it is. So. And, it, and it's funny. I mean, it's it, it captures the spirit of the movies. Mm-hmm. It's good as far as repurposing an attraction goes. Like I said, I, I went in thinking I wouldn't like it, um, but I left thinking it was a really good attraction. And, and it does really well in uh, reader surveys too. It's still very popular. Well, I, I don't know if you've, you've ever been on it for the moment where you suddenly see Disneyland and, and the two things Rocket says. And one is, is that Disneyland? But the other one I know you'd love, Len, is that it, it, it comes over and Rocket looks out and it's like, Disneyland? Uh, that's contextually wrong. You know, just like, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That is good. All right, Jim, good, uh, good episode. Try. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. One of those upcoming shows is on how Epcot's restaurants fared on opening day back in 1982. And you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me at TouringPlans.com. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's just finished planting a chihuahua-shaped corn maze for this year's annual schniff Farm Pumpkin and Chili Party in beautiful Queen Creek, Arizona, starting October 3rd. While Aaron's wrapping that up, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.